Every business comes to life through its service experience. Your business success depends on whether your customers are loyal to you. That's where real value and profit is created. Great companies ubiquitously have great customer experiences. A thin red line divides those that invest and consistently deliver what their customers need and those that fail and get disrupted. In competitive and challenging times, leaders need to double down on their customer experience. Learn and grow the value you create. Grow your success. Be on the right side of that thin red line. This is the CX Guru with your host, Eric McCroskey, a globally recognized ops and customer experience guru, public speaker, and author. Your business success story begins now. Hi, and welcome to the Customer Experience Guru. Today, I'm very excited to have with me Dr. Lou Bayer. For the last 20 years, uh, she has been an internationally recognized expert on civility at work uh, with a focus on social intelligence, culturally competent communications, author of 17 books, including The 30% Solution and coming very shortly, Civility at Work. Uh, Her work is uh, uh, partnering with 500 plus affiliates around the world to drive a significant impact. So, uh, Lou, welcome to to the show. Thank you. Happy to be here. Excellent. So maybe if you can start out by telling me a little bit about what is civility uh, and and most importantly, how it can be measured. So um, thank you for asking that. It's um, one of the kind of uphill battles over the years for us. We're 20 years in has been helping people understand that civility is not just manners. It's not about, um, you know, not wearing white after Labor Day or using the right fork or Martha Stewart perfection. It's (laughs) actually, as you've just alluded, a, a measurable competency. Um, Civility is a values proposition. It's Mm -hmm. um, a skill that's grounded in social intelligence, cultural competence, continuous learning, and systems thinking. So there are, you know, a a cluster of um, indicators in each of those skill areas that help somebody be civil. So Mm -hmm. just generally, the definition is about a conscious awareness that we have the power to ease the experience of others through our choices and that we have a moral obligation to do that just because we're human and on the planet. And the last part of the definition is that there has to be some consciousness and consistency. So civility becomes who you are, not just something that you do. And you can't just be civil on Friday and (laughs) not the rest of the week. Right. Right. And so, so what's the business case for civility? And, and I particularly like to talk a little bit about the impact on customer experience, because I think it's it's very connected. Sure. So what we find is, and there's some really solid research uh, about this too, is that um, in terms of impact to customer, whether that's internal or external, there's mm-hmm. some Weber Shadwick research that said that organizations that embed civility in their workplace experience up to 30% increases in overall profitability. And if we back things out a little bit, um, a great portion of that can be tied back to service experience and retaining not only employees as internal customers, but retaining external customers as well. And so civility boils down to people treatment. It's this Mm -hmm. understanding that it doesn't really matter how fantastic your product is or how great your prices are, you know, short term, that's that's obviously good. 
but long term people mm -hmm. remember their experience interacting with you from a customer's perspective and so people treatment is critical and it should be positive so so am i simplifying too much by saying treat your employees well and then in turn they will treat your customers really well um it might be a little bit uh simplified so mm -hmm. yes on the one hand we hope that you know it's a bit like the golden rule you know if, if i'm good to you you'll be good to me um, that I should acknowledge what your needs are and try to address them. You will feel respected and valued, and then hopefully mm -hmm. you will respect and value me. Um, the challenge with all of that in our workplaces is that there's huge diversity now. So, sure. you know, in some workplaces up to five generations, um, I think uh, eight or nine uh, self-identified and recognized genders now. Um, and most uh, research that I've seen suggests that on average between 80 and 120 cultural groups represented. Mm -hmm. So my ability to identify, even as an employer, what constitutes uh, fair and equitable and positive treatment for every mm -hmm. employee that I um, provide, <clears throat> excuse me, provide employment for, it, it gets a little complicated. Um, mm -hmm. Yes, yes. Add to that union aspects and sure. you know, workplace cultures, situational stressors, um, pandemics, you know, things get a little messy. <laughs> so can you, can you share maybe about some of the competencies that are behind civility? Sure. Thank you. So um, one of the key aspects of civility is your ability to read and interpret Nonverbal, verbal, tonal, contextual cues. It's called social radar. Mm -hmm. And that's one of three aspects of social intelligence. So, social intelligence is something that at all levels in business, many of us are sorely lacking in these days. It's this ability to be present and pay attention, to extend our attention span beyond the seven to 10 seconds that the research <laughs> suggests. Um, right. we, we have. Um, and so social intelligence is a skill that we start with in a lot of work workplaces, because if I can pay attention long enough to note that when I say to you, Bob, how's it going on the job today? Do you have what you need mm -hmm. to, to get the job done? Or Bob, you look a little stressed. Everything okay? If mm -hmm. I have been trained such that I can interpret his response appropriately and then either make a repair or give some positive feedback, or do something to ease his experience, that has mm -hmm. significant and immediate impact on that individual's day-to-day um, -day experience in the workplace. And workplace culture is really made up of the day-to-day -day experience of the individuals living in that culture. So one of the, the things that we start with, because it, the outcome is trust, is to sure. start to build um, social intelligence and cultural competence. Okay, and, and so tell me a little bit about how how you can develop those skills. So oftentimes when we're in workplaces that are deemed to be toxic and we have all sorts okay. of assessments, um, most of them no charge if, if uh, anybody wants those resources, but when we determine that a workplace is toxic, oftentimes the first question is, well, it's because these people are, you know, obnoxious or spiteful mm -hmm. or they want something for nothing. You know, we, we tend to assume the worst of people. But when we really get into it, what we find often is that people just truly don't know 
what positive people treatment looks like and what we expect mm -hmm. them to exhibit towards our customers and to each other because they haven't actually experienced it. So sure. as one, yeah, as one quick example, uh, my daughter is, uh, she's coming 20, but her first jobs when she was uh, 17, 18 as a teenager, she had horrible experiences, you know, workplaces, employers and supervisors who made assumptions about millennials, you know, that mm -hmm. these, these are kids with one foot out the door, that they um, aren't interested in contribute, you know, all of these kind of Sure. biases and stereotypes and from her first job her workplace experience was negative and so when she went through the first two or three um short-term you know part-time mm -hmm. jobs um her assumption was that that's why people hate work because you're not treated well and why would <laughs> right. i be loyal to somebody who treats me like that and so she did not experience a civil workplace and so mm -hmm. she still doesn't have an understanding of what good leadership looks like uh, from a workplace right. point of view. And, and I think that's the experience in our research and field mm -hmm. of work suggests that it's true, that many people take on the attributes and demeanor of those that have power over them in the workplace. And as Sometimes. a result, um, you know, behave badly. I, I think if you give people the tools and outline expectations, mm -hmm. most people will behave well and better and want to do well and better right that makes sense so, so in that scenario you shared uh, how would you create that the softer skills that are needed to have kind of a human to human interaction a human to human relationship uh, in the workplace is that predominantly a training-based approach uh, tell me a little bit more about how you do this uh, right so um, I think the the first thing again, the the words really matter, and the way we kind of interpret things. So, you know, one thing we would do is when we come into a workplace, we wouldn't use um, the term soft skills. Okay. Now, this is about building relational wealth. It's about social capital. It's about you know interpersonal uh, capacity, collaboration, team. You know, there's all of these outcomes of building social intelligence, for example, or cultural competence. Um, there's a, a really, on our list, about 42 um, what we would call essential skills that used to be described as soft skills. So mm -hmm. that's everything from building rapport, excuse me, and the ability to engage people and boost their confidence. It's the ability to teach people through mirroring behaviors, um, mm -hmm. you know, the way you would understand your own social style and adapt it to make somebody else comfortable that you would be able to recognize from somebody's way of standing or does the pitch in their voice change um, right. and can you adapt your voice and rate and pitch those are all skills that are critical um, mm -hmm. in situations where particularly for leaders supervisors and and managers but um we teach it mostly in workplace now by obligating the behavior. So to explain that, um, we find that with adults at work, mm -hmm. very difficult to change the attitude. Um, and so we change the behavior so that people's experience change and most often the attitude follows. Where if you start with attitude, you know, sometimes the idea, the bias, the 
um, demeanor, it, it's ingrained sometimes 20, 30 years on a job. And so you have to show people by way of behavior. Um, an easy example would be we've got do not use lists. So in a communication style guide, there would be a, a list of words that we suggest we're not going to use in the workplace because they, um, the undercurrent is um, racist or biased or um, anti-woman or whatever, right? And people okay. don't always have to understand exactly why they're doing it. Sometimes we don't engage them in that conversation because it just starts unnecessary arguments and waste time. The okay. fact is it becomes part of the workplace protocol. Um, there's guidelines and standard operating practices and procedures that prescribe better people treatment. And when people okay. start to follow those rules and engagement, um, they see firsthand, oh, well, suddenly um, I don't feel nervous when I come into a meeting with you. I wonder why yeah. that is. And <laughs> I know that it's because I've taught the other person to monitor their body language so they don't come across as aggressive. And they're doing that naturally now because it's a habit and they don't even know that they're doing it in a more positive way, but the outcome is what matters. And so we try to shift the behavior and teach these essential skills and teach civility. And it's shocking how quickly you can turn around workplace culture. Interesting. So can you walk me through some, some case studies, some examples of, of how you've turned around a, a workplace culture like this? So sure. Um, one uh, company, a manufacturing company, um, the kind of, let's call it the old guard, you know, the supervisors uh -huh. and, and managers, the salaried uh, team that had been there for a little while. Um, I say old school, and I don't mean that in a derogatory way, but traditionally we were taught to communicate in a certain way. And in this case, the perception was that management doesn't care about us, perception from the front sure. line production. Management doesn't care about us. Um, it's all about them. It's just about money. Um, they're secure and uh, they're just, you know, bossy. You know, they sit up there and drink coffee and we do the real work, you know, mistrust and so on. And when we looked at, you know, why was that mistrust happening? You know, there were a couple of things, but the first one was the, the way of communicating. So this kind of older cohort of supervisors and managers had been taught to always say, start with the word I and then a feeling as in uh, or a, a desire. So I want or I need or okay. um, um, I require, I insist. And when we look at the science of language, what we find out is, is that using those first person pronouns does project a me focused approach. And so okay. one of the first things we did was change the way supervisors and leaders in that organization communicate with their team. So we prohibited first person pronouns and mm -hmm. we prohibited what I would call emotion words. So what I need or wish or imagine or think or dream, you know, those kind of <laughs> things. Um, it's like if I say to you, you know, Eric, I hope we can pay you on Friday or mm -hmm. I need you to do this for me. The takeaway when we use that language consistently is it's all about you. And that's exactly what was happening. Sure. So when we change it to an end in mind communication where we put the outcome first 
and reroute the, pro the order of the pronouns, it has a really dramatic impact. So instead of saying, um, Bill, I need you to do 16 more or produce 16 more widgets today. Instead, mm -hmm. you would say the customer is asking us to increase the order by 20%. Bill, would you be able to speed things up and make six more widgets today? That would really help okay. out. Right. So focus. It's not about what I want. It's about what the customer right. wants. It's about right. us as a team. Right. So, I mean, the, the way we change the communication is, is really important. And then there's the other things. So, for example, you know, in a uh, medical facility, mm -hmm. we were called in because there was this level of toxicity between, you know, doctors and nurses and admin support staff. And, you know, what we looked at there is that the environment itself was creating this sort of divide this um, perception that one person was of more importance or value than the other. And uh, in our North American culture and other mm -hmm. cultures too, but North America in particular, your rank, your gender, how much education or how many languages you speak, none of that is supposed to matter. In a workplace, we are all equal. Right. We were all deserving of the same labor rights, human rights, etc. And so in this workplace, our perception was that one of the contributing factors was um, what I would describe as executive washrooms for doctors, mm -hmm. a separate lunchroom for doctors, right. and you know, high-level administrators, the executive team, where they've got a fancy coffee machine, and in the other kind of, <laughs> uh, you know, nurses and support staff, uh, they couldn't even get a hot cup of coffee unless they had changed to use a vending machine, which was inconvenient and not very good. You know, even the lighting in the various, uh, what I would call restroom or staff room, was very different depending hmm. on what your rank was. Really? Um, yes, your obligation to <laughs> wear a name tag. You know, if I'm a, a nurse, I had to wear a name tag, but a doctor didn't have to because wow. it was expected that you're going to remember my name, but I don't have to remember yours. You know, wow. so this, this happens frequently where the workplace policy and procedure actually fosters incivility. Sure. And we're just unaware of it. So so the, the second example that you're sharing, uh, very concrete actions you can do, changing the lighting, changing the coffee maker, changing the rooms, the bathrooms, et cetera, um, tangible, tangible actions. How do you, like in your first example, how do you make sure that that stays consistent, right? So I, I liked how you change from, I want this to, uh, uh, introducing the customer uh, and, and changing the language less towards an order. H how do you make that happen consistently? Well, I think part of it is um, adopting civility as a core value and, you know, defining it for your organization. Uh, you know, we always encourage people, you don't have to use our definition, you know, define mm -hmm. civility in a way that it's meaningful in your context. But I think part of it is um, recognizing that civility means a service orientation. You know, you mentioned customer service earlier mm -hmm. and, you know, even things like we would teach in a retail or a hotel environment from a customer service point of view, we don't label people as VIP or elite customers. Everybody <laughs> is a VIP. You know, everybody is equally deserving of, you know, a positive experience and don't make it about 
um, you know, does somebody look mm-hmm. like they can afford it? And if they do, I'll provide the service. Or does this person look like they're going to buy today and I'm going to give them my attention? Um, you know, the, the idea that we're suspending judgment and assumptions is really critical. Um, and if that's our attitude across the work team and across um, the situation and, you know, every day, all day, that helps a little bit. But I think the first step is identifying that we have an incivility problem, that we each contribute to toxicity, whether it's an eye rolling our eyeballs and not realizing it, whether it's, you know, two or three minutes late consistently, Mm -hmm. um, you know, being distracted by our phones and meetings. You know, the first step, I think, is helping people identify that we all contribute. And before we start to assess other people's behavior, we need to take responsibility for our own. Hmm, I love it. So uh, you've written several books. Uh, so a good place for somebody to, to learn more and to get some ideas on how to drive the change. Um, you can go to your website, uh, Um or pick up one of your books. Uh, how, how else uh, can you help organizations improve on, on the civility side? Oh, well, thank you. So um, at civilityexperts.com, there's a culture compass uh, assessment that is no fee. People can fill that out. We encourage mm-hmm usually, uh, you know, at least 10 people from an organization and we can send you back a, a short assessment of what you might look at as a starting point for resolving the problem. Um, we have a, a Consider Civility YouTube channel, Civility Experts Online. There's lots of actually free courses, you know, kind of a starting point for civility. And at Amazon, if you Google Bayer like the aspirin, um, most of these books should pop up. And uh, we actually give away at no fee um PDF copy of the 30% solution, which is sort of a toolkit mm-hmm. that you can get started with. Uh, people need only email events at civilityexperts.com, and we're happy to send out that copy. Uh, it's got all sorts of tools and resources and uh, describes how to start a workplace civility initiative. Mm-hmm. Love it. Well, thank you very much for, for joining me, uh, Lou. Really appreciate you sharing some, some thoughts and, and some very tangible examples of how to bring this to life. Uh, to, to improve your culture. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Like what we do? Share this on your socials and tell everyone. Thank you for listening to the CX Guru on C-Suite Radio. Increase the value you create. Grow your brand. Drive your success. Distinguish yourself from the pack. Come back in two weeks for the next episode. Or listen to our sister show, The Ops Guru, with Eric McCroskey. Fuel your future. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.